Oh yeah. Let's talk about making love. No, not that kind of making love. Did you know that the average person only spends half a percent of their life having sex? Here at Making Love Today, we learn from couples about what they do with the other 99.5% of their time to create meaningful, deeply fulfilling, and long-lasting relationships. So listen up as we hear what our guest couples do outside the bedroom to make their love work. And now, here's your host, Patrick Perkins. Hey everyone once again, and welcome to Making Love Today, Episode 5. I'm your host, Patrick Perkins. Are you enjoying these relationship stories so far? If so, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps you to not miss a single bit of the relationship wisdom these couples have to share, and also helps other people to find the podcast who don't know about it yet, but could also benefit from the lessons shared here. Also, to learn more about all of the couples that we talk to on the show, be sure to visit us at makinglovetoday.com or on Facebook or Instagram at Rekindle Love Today. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with James and Lisa. Now, James and Lisa are a bit younger than most of the couples that we've heard from thus far. They've been together for close to four years, and with James an entrepreneur and Lisa a civil rights lobbyist, they both have a fairly demanding careers. Complicating matters even further, James lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, and Lisa lives a few hours away in Sacramento. They share some great insights on how to make the best of the time that they have together and really enjoy every moment. So let's go ahead and jump on in and hear their interview. Hey, this is Lisa and James, and my first question for both of you is just, could you tell me about your first date? Hey, Patrick, thanks for having us on. Our first date, at that time, we were both you know, kind of really busy, and so we had matched on Tinder, but neither of us messaged the other for weeks. <laughs> One night, uh, I was just having dinner when I get a message. This is where I jump in. And this is Lisa. <laughs> Thanks for having us on your show. I was out with my best friend and we were bored. It was a Friday night and we thought it would be fun to switch up our phones and go through each other's Tinder. She would swipe through my matches and I would swipe through her matches. And we needed someone who was immediately available with a friend who would go out with the both of us. So we messaged a few guys and James took the bait. So technically it was my best friend who <laughs> reached out to James first. She asked if he was available. I think he was at dinner with his family, but that afterward he was going to a birthday party. That night I was headed out to my friend's birthday party and it happened to take place at a club called Pure. Um, so I was like, yeah, like, yeah, sure. Let's hang out, come join and we had a really good time. So that's not really a date, but that's how we met. And from that point forward, we were pretty much inseparable. Our first real date was the day after that. Uh, we went out in, in downtown Palo Alto and we ran into my sister. So Lisa was like, man, like this is it's a little, really, fast. really fast. It's a little soon to be meeting your family. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of how it began. And, and to bring back the thing about pure we think of our anniversary date as the date we met. To us, the formalities of like, oh, now we're officially together as boyfriend and girlfriend is not as significant to us as the date that we met. And so every year for our anniversary, we do something. This is one of our traditions. We do something that is a play on the word pure. So this past July, we spent a night on a boat, an Airbnb on a pure. Um, so, and uh, we're going to run out of words that sound like pure pretty soon. And we're going to have to resort to things like pure counseling or something for, for our anniversaries. So that's how we met. And that, that's where it all started. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really fun tradition to have. Do you have any other traditions kind of along that same lines as well? 
our other traditions and patterns are a little bit more serious, not like boring serious, but but more to the the heart of like, how do we want our daily life to look? Because I think one of the big themes of our relationship is that we want the baseline everyday experience of life to be super awesome. To us, it's less about like, oh, you know, what are the peak moments where we can like do something really outrageous or fancy? I mean, those are fun. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think our focus mainly, like where we gravitate to, is building a really awesome baseline of just daily existence with each other. An example of what we might do daily or on a weekend is wake up and then just spend time in bed or whatever, talking to each other and establishing that the day is completely open to us and that anything can happen. And if that's the case, then what would make today awesome? And we'll ask those questions to sort of prime ourselves to remember that anything is possible and that we're working toward very specific values or very specific feelings. If we want to feel great, what would make today great? So we'll literally ask each other that question and then we might say, well, being outdoors would be great. Being able to talk to you in an unrushed setting would be great. So then we'll pursue something like that and grab a coffee and sit outside and talk for hours and then continue to ask ourselves, what would make today great? Instead of having to stick to some sort of script like, well, we should probably grab the coffee and go home and then think about the next thing to do. We'll just be unrushed. And I think that's one quality of our day-to-day life, the feeling of being unrushed that feels very luxurious. That tradition is one of asking questions to prime ourselves. And sort of the weekend day that I just described is also another tradition. I think we spend a lot of our weekends reflecting and doing something like grabbing a coffee and sitting outside. It feels to me like a tradition. I think it's, yeah, Yeah. it's established, I would say. (laughs) And so I'm assuming you don't do that every single weekday, correct? (laughs) No, Um, fortunately not. (laughs) I would estimate that this happens maybe once every other weekend. Mm -hmm. On weekdays, our situation is kind of interesting. So we have a home in Sacramento. And so Lisa, she works in Sacramento. I work in the Bay Area. So I actually spend half my week, Tuesdays through Fridays, in the Bay Area. And then I come up to Sacramento for the weekends and Monday. And I work from home on Monday. But I am transitioning over time to being able to spend more time away from the Bay Area because... I really love our life in Sacramento and wherever else we may decide to live in the future. On weekdays, we have (laughs) work, and so we're not just sitting around cafes (laughs) chatting about (laughs) philosophical things in life. Nonsense. (laughs) Nonsense. (laughs) You mentioned, you asked yourselves, how can we make this day basically meaningful? And you said that you will have specific values and feelings that you're working towards. Could you talk a little bit about what those values or feelings are? We really value openness and open-mindedness. I know that's really general, but there's a sense in our relationship that anything can be said. Any insecurity, any observation, curiosity is welcome. The agreement is not that we agree. The agreement is that we are listening and understanding. So whenever we talk or have time to ourselves, what I like most is that there is that sense of 
anything goes, whatever you observed out in the world or whatever you feel internally is completely accepted here in our home or directed at me. I'm sort of here to listen to James and to get to know him better every single day. And I'm always happy at what I discover. I think that pretty much captures it. The openness and open-mindedness are really big for us. Perhaps along the same lines, a, a sense of lightness and freedom in the way that we spend the day mm-hmm. is also really important. So often we'll make plans, we'll sort of mentally sketch out some plans, but we're totally, we're very open to just switching it up midway through because ultimately what are we serving except for our own emotions, right? So whatever we feel like doing, we allow ourselves that flexibility within that day. So yeah, that lightness and agility is something we really like too. Yeah. And I think that the reason we fixate on that is because we observe in other relationships, romantic or otherwise, that there can be a lot of rigidity. And that rigidity to a predetermined script or feeling of obligation to do XYZ can be debilitating for people. And it can get in the way of being open and honest about what you want out of life, what you want to feel, and the transfer of love, giving and receiving. That's something that we hold as a standard and we really fixate on being free and lighthearted because we never want to put each other in a position where we're doing something we don't want to do or we're playing mind games or not expressing just what it is we want or how it is we are feeling. Does that ever lead to conflict at all or are you generally able to do that in a pretty open manner? I find that conflict is more likely to come up if we are rigid. And if we're flexible, then there could be, for example, I don't express what I want out of the day adequately, then that could lead to a difficulty in us trying to figure out what to do if I'm not thinking clearly about what I want to do next. So there are challenges. It's not just like, oh, okay, yeah, we're like, cool, we just go along and and anything goes completely because it does take that coordination or communication, at least as we go along. And so conflict is kind of a strong word. But I think that One of the things that we work on and continue to work on is just being really clear on what do we want each day and each moment? And are we kind of continuously keeping the other person in the loop? Yeah, yeah. I think my take is that there is conflict, there are disagreements, or there are misunderstandings here and there. But after every conflict, if you call it that, we also always go back to gratitude that we have a pretty good conflict resolution process in place it does kind of go back onto itself where we can say anything. And that includes, hey, I don't think we communicated really well back there. Or let's pause. I don't feel really good right now and I don't know why, but I feel like there's a miscommunication and it's tense. If you consider that conflict, I would also say that it's solved by that very same process. We'll talk and then we'll resolve things because we always get back to what did you intend and where could we have changed our behavior? All of that is fair game just because the underlying value is established already that we love each other and that we're open-minded and understanding. Yeah. And the way that I think of it is that normally conflicts can come up if two people are out of sync with each other in the sense that they're not on the same team, like they're kind of fighting for different things. Mm -hmm. And to me, it seems like the sooner you click back into the mode where you're on the same team, going after the same goal, then the more quickly the conversation just becomes productive, right? And then we can move on to those things that Lisa was talking about. Where was the misunderstanding? What can we do differently next time? And that's been 
massively helpful. We've only been together for under three and a half years, but in that time, we are significantly better at our kind of form of disagreement resolution just through practice and really rigorous reflection and change each time. So we don't get into a lot of conflicts at all. And that's exactly why it's so important to use each one to Mm -hmm. really advance our ability to resolve the next one when it inevitably happens at some point, right? And so the hope is that they get more and more infrequent, but we continue to get better and better at resolving and preventing them. By prevent, I don't mean like sweeping stuff under the rug until it festers. What I mean is just cutting it off, cutting off whatever issue is starting to appear on the horizon by resolving it properly before it gets emotionally charged. So in general, to get to the point where you are right now, it sounds like there has to be a very large amount of trust between the two of you. You have to both understand that you can be open without getting hurt or without getting misunderstood, or if you are misunderstood, that you can work through that. Was it difficult to get to that point or did that kind of just come naturally? It is difficult internally to reconcile all the feelings of insecurity surrounding dating and meeting someone new. It's difficult to reconcile that with the knowledge that trust is the only way forward. And so when I met James, it's easy for me to say that James is just a wonderful, all good human being and that I lucked out. But also, you know, I had to take a lot of cues in the beginning before I knew that. I think it was very helpful that we are both quite independent individuals. From the get-go, we established that we command respect and honesty from each other. And when we first started dating, we were coming from two very different places. And the moment that either of us sniffed any sort of games or any sort of hints, we would sort of nip it in the bud. And I think the very act of James calling me out or James telling me that he wants me to be honest no matter what it sounds like. That very act of commanding respect showed me that he is a person who's not messing around and is looking for a relationship with someone who is mature. And I think those qualities help me trust him because I trust that he's looking out for his own well-being. So I feel open to look out for my own well-being and with trust and then with love down the line, then you look out for each other. So as Lisa mentioned, from the beginning, we operated in a way where it's like, let's lay everything out on the table and then we can make our individual decision Mm -hmm. about whether to be with each other every single day. We make that decision. Yes, I want to be with you every single day. And not like, I don't say this out loud, but (laughs) that is the implicit choice that we make every single day. And I really strongly believe that it requires laying everything out on the table. At least for me, this idea comes from the fact that in a past life, I was a an attorney who dealt with contracts. It's not that I developed this mindset or perspective because I was an attorney, but I think it comes from a deeper sense that between any two people or any two parties, what they agree to do between each other is up to them. Between two people, I think there should be a lot of freedom to choose how you want to do things. And it also undergirds this idea now that Lisa and I lay out the facts with each other and we move forward because we choose to say, yeah, I love this person for all of their facets. And I love discovering more about this person each day. And I think I can build something with this person. And I think that's really scary. You know, it's Mm -hmm. scary to trust a person that much to choose you every day. But but you don't have to choose me every day. You happen to choose me every day. And that's incredible and awesome. 
but I trust you most of all to do what's best for you. I also trust that you're doing what's best for me. And that doesn't mean that you have to be with me. But so far, it has. So far, it has been our choice every single day to be together. And it's not a guarantee. Yeah. And that, I think, is a mark of our strength. It's not left up to a contract or like a wedding band to tell us to be together, but that we are deciding every day. Yeah. And one of our very good friends asked us recently, like, how do you have stability then? Like, how do you plan for the future if you have this pattern where you choose to be with each other every day? I mean, what if there's a moment of weakness where the relationship might fall apart? And my response to that is that over time, Lisa and I are building a relationship where we become literally the best person in the world for the other person. At least that's the goal. We want to build this thing where we just keep deepening what we're really good at, improving where we're not so good. And she becomes the best person in the world for me. And I hopefully become the best person in the world for her. When you get to the point where you feel very confident in that fact, then there's very little that can happen that can disturb your psychology so much that you're like, oh man, like I got to get out of this. Right. And we also have to be really self-reflective to see if there are any tendrils of those kinds of feelings so that we can address it in whatever way we would want to resolve any kinds of feelings like insecurities like that as soon as they start to appear on the horizon. So that's kind of how we view it. We don't rely on, like Lisa said, things like wedding bands and whatnot to hold us together. And it's not that we're opposed to the concept of marriage. We don't want to use marriage to keep us together. Mm -hmm. It's more like we want to be together and then sure, we'll get married if that's, you know. Marriage makes sense. Yeah, if it makes sense. (laughs) But we want to have that strength independent of whatever social structures we happen to fit most closely with. That sounds like a really great mindset to have towards the relationship. I especially liked how you talked about how you both are trying to become the person that is best for the other person. How do you go about balancing that and also your own individuality and being who you are as an individual and growing? Thank you for asking that because we were talking with each other and Lisa was saying that if there's one takeaway that we want to leave with you and your audience. It's that independence is incredibly key to having a strong relationship. One way to think about this is that it's sort of like in a negotiation. (laughs) Once again, here I go again. Um, In a negotiation, if you don't have a strong alternative to the agreement with the other person, then you kind of have to go along with it, even if it's kind of suboptimal, subpar. But if you have a strong backup plan, which is in the case of the relationship, it's like, if my life as an individual without Lisa is really awesome, then that makes my choice to be with her actually meaningful. We're very, very adamant about this, that it starts (laughs) with creating a life that's really awesome individually. And if the two lives happen to fit with each other, then, then that's really great. And then we should be together. Yeah. My perspective, particularly as a woman, is that it's very important to work on yourself first. This applies to women and men, but I think that we see it a lot with young women where there is sort of the skipping over of the phase where you work on yourself and you establish yourself. And this is not just professionally, but it certainly is to do with self-sufficiency, but that also we all work on our mental fortitude and our internal lives 
none of us will ever arrive or be perfect, but that you are working on, working through your childhood, your maturity, you're establishing your own values first so that you can bring that to the table ultimately with your partner. And for me, I think it's very important that I have alone time to work on myself or to work on my art, my hobbies, apart from James. And that's like a very literal thing you do, but a lot of people really can't sit alone with themselves. So I think it's very important to work on yourself first. So if you find that you're in a relationship, but there are some things that are really unsettling to you about yourself, then that's cause for reflection and perhaps taking a step back from the relationship to work on yourself first. For me and James, I think we celebrate each other's individuality. Like he's really into cars and he'll spend time with his car friends and drive around tracks <laughs> <laughs> on, on the same route. Go just around over in circles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that I feel the need to inject myself into. You know, I celebrate that it's his own thing. It's actually quite meditative for him. It's really intellectually stimulating for him and all of these great things that I celebrate about him. So individuality is super important to us. It just seems so crazy that in our pop culture, all the music out there is like, oh, I need you. Like, I'd be nothing without you. You're my everything. You know, all that stuff. Like, I've just rattled off the lyrics to like 800 songs. I think that's terrible advice because if you need someone and you don't actually want them, that's not a meaningful choice to be with them. That's just survival mode, which... It strikes me as a little bit hollow compared to the richness of being able to say, look, without you, I would live a fantastic life. But with you, things are elevated even further. And that's the standard that I would like to live at, not like, oh, I'm barely surviving and like with you, then I can breathe. Yeah. Like all the lyrics would have you believe. Certainly in our American pop culture, these notions about needing somebody I think are really quite counterproductive. Mm -hmm. To me, it takes the meaning out of the choice to be in a relationship. That's really interesting. You think about your relationship in a way that's a little bit different than you might see. I'm kind of really getting the sense that there have been some real influences, whether positive or negatively, that really led you to have this attitude towards your relationship. Could you talk a little bit about some of your biggest influence that have led to your current thinking about your relationship? I think for me, my parents divorced when I was a child. I grew up with a single mother and she really came into herself only after the divorce. She established herself as a very independent woman and I grew up seeing that example that perhaps life is not about marriage uh, itself. Life is more of an individual journey. I think that I am very affected by that. Uh, whether or not I'm with a person that I'm living my life as an individual on my own journey. I do have other examples. We sort of observe any and all relationships we come across. Yeah, I think a lot of younger relationships that we observe can feel in a rush for the goalposts, like being girlfriend and boyfriend. And then the next one would be getting engaged. And then the next one would be getting married and then having kids, buying a house somewhere in there. And I think those goalposts can make total sense, but seeking them out just for the sake of accomplishing them is not an act of love in and of itself. So 
James and I do note whenever we see that, that rush toward a goal post that it doesn't seem motivated by love and understanding. And then we try to recalibrate. We try to make sure that if the day comes where we call each other boyfriend and girlfriend, which happened, that it wasn't because we had to be boyfriend and girlfriend. It just made sense. It just yeah, and, and to clarify what making sense means, it's like, well, okay, our relationship is what it is. And if it happens to look the most like what people call boyfriend and girlfriend, then we'll apply that label. That's also a part of the theme of independence in our relationship, which is our relationship, we want it to be independent from external influences as well and external scripts. So it's like, we'll develop our thing. And then when it's just easier to refer to it in a certain way, then we'll do that. Same with marriage. We operate as many couples who are <laughs> married. We don't feel a particular rush to apply that label. If it makes practical sense to apply the label, we'll do it. But for the moment, there's no rush. Yeah, back to your question about influences, it mostly comes down to just observing other couples, whether it's friends or parents, just seeing like, okay, well, when do these relationships seem the most inspiring to me? And I think the relationships that are the most inspiring are, uh, to me at least, are the ones where I see that both individuals are just really strong individuals on their own, and then they become something even greater when they're together. It sounds like you take a very deliberate day-to-day -day approach to how you define your relationship. But even with that in mind, realistically speaking, what do you feel that the future probably holds for the both of you? Who knows? I don't think that we know what we will be doing next month or next year, <laughs> certainly. But what we do know is that we have really strong values and that no matter what, we're going to be working toward that lighthearted, free life. And that means that like James is career, can take him anywhere. And it doesn't really matter to me. You know, the idea that he's working toward fulfillment and making an impact for others means that the income is not going to be as reliable as it would have been if he wasn't, if he stayed an attorney. There are no expectations for each other. He's not beholden to any expectation I have of making a certain amount of money or living in a certain place or anything. His life choices are sort of open to him. And I think I support them as long as they are making him better and happier. So the future holds anything in that regard. But I think the way that we operate day to day means that the future holds each other for sure. And yeah. well, not for sure, but you know, <laughs> very likely and that it will be a beautiful one and that we will be asking each other every step along the way, what makes today awesome? What would make tomorrow awesome? The process of growth is super key to us. I firmly believe that if you can predict what you're going to be doing in five or 10 years, or even one year, that means that you're not growing fast enough. I try to aim for this ideal where we should be growing so fast as people that in a year, our lives will look and feel different in ways that we couldn't imagine today. It doesn't have to look different on the superficial levels, mm -hmm. right? For all this talk about free-spiritedness and feeling light and agile, my life with Liz could look totally standard. We could move out to the suburbs, get like a three-bedroom house, have like two and a half kids. I think we're but, renewing our lease later today. Yeah, so. yeah we're, <laughs> it could look totally standard on the surface levels, but deeper inside, the reasons for why we make those choices should be made in a philosophically pure way that really is about our values and not about social or external mm -hmm. expectations. If you ask us where we want to be in five years, 
the core needs to be that we still hold these really strong values about independence, building ourselves as individuals so that we bring our A game to each other's lives. And the specifics, the chips can fall where they, I don't know what the word is, but I mean, the metaphor, is, but yeah, they, they'll, 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 they can be whatever they are. <laughs> Total failure there, literary. Let the chips fall where you think that they might go. Man, James, you're a poet and you didn't even think that you were one. <laughs> I'm certainly curious to see where things go. And it sounds like the both of you are as well. Working towards wrapping up, just a few questions left. And this one, you may have already alluded to this a little bit, but what's some terrible relationship? advice you've received or heard before? I think the idea that you should be able to just unleash your deepest, darkest self to the other is bad advice because there's a real difference between being open and honest and productive in that sense. There's a real difference between that and just yelling and saying whatever it is that crosses your mind in a heated moment. So first of all, we work really hard at never getting to that ultra heated moment. But even if you are in an elevated emotional state, I don't think that it's very good advice to follow to just say whatever is on your mind. Because our minds are not ourselves. Our minds are full of hypotheticals and ideas and weird insecurities. And I have observed couples who just get into really nasty verbal arguments and they say really petty things or really scathing, deep cutting things to each other. And you can't unhear these things. You can't undo the things you say. And human emotions are a delicate thing. I think it's a thing to cherish and elevate instead of knocking down, expecting to be able to piece it all back together. I mean, I think that's just a very destructive way of interacting with any two people really. But in a romantic relationship, there's so much at stake in terms of your lives together and what you want to build together that it's one of the more important relationships to keep that in mind. So it's really bad advice to say that you can say anything you want, deepest, darkest thoughts. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. To me, the word productive or constructive really captures it. If you have a disagreement, it doesn't mean you can just do whatever, you, no holds barred, just say whatever you want, because that doesn't actually lead to any productive end. Like Lisa said, you can't unhear some of these things, right? Words do leave scars. So just being really productive, being on the same team, not just unleashing these unproductive words that can really cut and leave scars. I think that's a really fine distinction that some people sort of miss when they think of honesty within a relationship. Yes, I fully support honesty and openness, but no, I don't support just like throwing verbal punches that Mm -hmm. you can't take back. Mm -hmm. Then on the other end of that, what's a really great piece of relationship advice that you've received before or that you could share? I found that a healthy sense of humor goes a long way. I mean, you have to be able to laugh with each other, at each other, you know, in order for this whole thing to work. That lightheartedness and sense of humor is really big for me, something I love about my relationship with James. Yeah. And this is not just relationship advice, but I think life advice is really constantly practicing asking yourself why you do the things that you do. The book that probably changed my life the most is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And It applies to everything. And when you're really clear on why you do things, 
then that removes a huge percentage of the potential conflicts or tensions that can come up. Because most of us operate in kind of a cloud where we're like not sure what we value. We're not sure how to navigate a sticky situation with loved ones. But when you do practice that every day, and even the smallest things, um, then that can be really liberating and it can really help you think about your relationship in a very clean way where it's like, okay, I know exactly what I'm here for. I'm here to promote Lisa as an individual in her story of growth. And I'm here to do the same for myself. And then as a secondary matter, then we're here to have the more superficial parts of a relationship. Using that as a concrete example, it's very clear to me that if our relationship ever came in conflict with, let's say, Lisa as an individual on her path of growth, then I would prioritize her. And I would say, okay, this relationship is not good for her. So then it wouldn't be a fight. It's so clear how we prioritize things. And I'm not saying that everybody has to place the individuals above the relationship. That is a specific. And those are our values. Those are our, that's one of our values, right? But the, the important thing is to figure out your values so that you can act in accordance with them. Yeah. The why is super important. No, absolutely. Like, I think that applies to how we found our apartment. We operated on that why level. And we wanted to get to the work of loving one another and living our best lives in a free spirited way. So we chose an apartment that is just enough space and we chose furniture and we chose not to decorate it or furnish it all too much because it serves that why of freedom and minimal maintenance because we want to get to the actual work of being together and enjoying our lives, not of maintaining an apartment. And I think that that speaks to our relationship theoretically as well, is that we're not here to maintain those external things. We're here to get to the actual work of it. And if you ask yourself why, you're never bogged down by those questions. A lot of people say that, oh, you have to like make sacrifices and compromise to be in a relationship. And I think the deeper question is, what exactly are you sacrificing or compromising on? If you're compromising on your whys, your deep-seated values and what you actually care about at the end of the day. Get out of there. Get out of there. Right? <laughs> like That's not a good place to be. But on the other hand, if what you're quote unquote sacrificing is a superficial behaviors, then it's, it's actually important that you don't stick to the habits and routines that you've always done or your superficial preferences. And this is something that Liz taught me when we first met. We were having a discussion about something. I don't remember what, but she said something that I'll never forget, which is just tell me what the behavior is that you're looking for, because I can do whatever behavior it is. But the values that were underlying what we were trying to do, which was, you know, to make our relationship stronger, were really solid, right? That's not something we compromise on. So when you think about compromise or sacrifice, you need to be really clear on that because I think I see some couples where they're really rigid on the surface level stuff, but then they give up on their deeper values so easily just because they haven't thought about them and they're not really clear on the values. And so I think flipping that and being really flexible on the specifics, but very thoughtful and very firm on your deep-seated values. That's super important to us. And just to wrap things up here, I have one final question for the both of you. I'd just like both of you to tell the other one what you love about them. Ladies first. Cut <laughs> <laughs> a gentleman. That's, that's the compliment you're getting. Well, um, well, I love that Lisa is really emotionally and mentally strong. 
it comes across okay now she's just flexing like quite literally <laughs> and pointing at her biceps but <laughs> uh, also physically <laughs> but, but but her mental and emotional strength really come across all kinds of situations like for example in her family she is sort of the emotional pillar that helps the rest of her family be closer and to really resolve differences and that's what i really respect and love about her and when I look to Lisa and I think how she inspires me, it's almost always in that domain, which is emotional stability and strength. And my siblings also really respect her for that. My brother told me not too long ago that Liz is one of the most like even keeled people that he's ever met. And I really love that quality about her. It's not about not having emotions. It's about having emotions, feeling them very deeply, but not letting those emotions upset that firm core inside of you. That's my answer. I love James because he loves himself. He loves himself so that he can make an impact in the world and a very large and thoughtful impact on others. I've been lucky enough to be a beneficiary of his love, but I think that hunger to grow and be better in order to then give back and serve others is what I love the most. And something that I'm happy to, to run with him on for the rest of our lives. I love that the most. I think through this podcast alone, you can sense how much of a growth-minded attitude he has toward life. And I think that that keeps things very interesting all of the time, semi-challenging and just always inspirational and always with an angle towards serving others and making an impact. Well, thank you. I really appreciate both of you being on with me today and being open and talking about your relationship. Thank you both for that. And best of luck to both of you moving forward. All right. Thanks. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening today. Be sure to tune in next time to hear Anne break down some of the great relationship skills that James and Lisa demonstrated. Do you have a guess as to which skills Anne will highlight? If so, let us know. You can leave a comment on our website at makinglovetoday.com or on Facebook or Instagram at Today if you'd prefer to get in touch with us through those methods. Also, if you'd like to apply to be on our show, or if you know a couple who you think the world could really benefit from hearing their story, just let us know through any of those channels I just mentioned. Thanks again for lending us your ears for a bit. I'm sure there are a thousand other things you could be doing with your time, and I really appreciate you spending a bit of it with me. And of course, until next time, be like Lisa and James and go out and make love in your life.